Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday. It's Cindy Perlman, and I'm so thrilled to be here with Gail Sylvia and a very, very special guest this morning, everybody. I am so thrilled to interview authors because that is my passion, too. And today I have the amazing Ariana Harris on with us today. And Ariana, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. And you guys, I have to tell you, you have to run out, go to Amazon today, get Ariana's book if you want a great read. We're about to enter the holiday season when you need gifts and you need gifts for men, women. This is an amazing book, and I'm going to give you guys a minute to get a pen so you can write it down. But it is by Ariana Harris, and the book is called Convergence Catalyst, Part 1, The Lost Soldiers. And I'm going to say it again a few times during the show because a definite must-read for everybody. And welcome, Ariana. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Now tell me, as as a writer, I'm always so interested in everyone's process. Tell us first a little bit about what your book's about. Um, my book actually takes place in the 1960s. Um, and it starts off uh, during the Vietnam War. Um, and basically, we're following a um, United States Marine lieutenant who sees something he shouldn't see in the jungles of Vietnam. And it's his story of how, what he does following what he sees. And it's a science fiction um, slash fantasy. And um, it's very historically oriented. So even the things that might seem fantastic... Um, they are mentioned in historical context. So if you're going along and you're reading the book and you're like, oh, that couldn't have happened, take a look in your history books. You might be surprised. So I love this. So <laughs> it's really based on fact, but you just added the element of science fiction to it. Exactly, exactly. I might have explained something a little fantastic, in a fantastic way as opposed to just using basic logic. So it's, um, yeah. yes, as, as a movie critic for so many years, I'm pretty good about not revealing things that should not be revealed. So so I don't get in trouble with you. You tell us a few clues about what does he see. We've, you and I have already determined before the show started, it is not vampires. It is not Edward Cullen from Twilight. No. It is nothing like that. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> um, we're a little vampired out. So tell us a little bit about what what does he see. Well, there. it's in the opening pages, so I can tell you because it's, it's okay. actually offered on Amazon. In the opening pages, our uh, USMC Lieutenant Paul Craven is stand. He's on the edge, actually a um, a ridge above a village where he's been told that the Viet Cong are there and it's he needs to go and clean house. And when he gets there, um, the sky lights up and a very, very, very big giant of an alien is standing there talking to the villagers. And he's like, hello, this is not what I was trained to deal with. Exactly. <laughs> so he is not ready for what he's seeing. And um, he's there with his friend, a um, black man 
named Remy Trelane who um, reports to him, um, and they're both just stunned. They do not know what to do with this. And um, Remy actually understands Vietnamese, so he's listening to this man and getting more and more shocked as, well, he's listening to the alien and getting more and more shocked as it goes by (laughs) to the point that none of them can move. So by the time all is said and done, the alien disappears, that's when the fun begins because Paul Craven kicks in with his training and goes for it. He decides he's going to go and do his job and deal with the fact that he saw an alien later. Now tell us a little bit about Paul. He's a great hero. So what what did you use to make your what tell us a little bit about the characteristics of your hero? Well, uh, I have to go back a little in time. Um, I started this book when I was a little girl. Um, I was 10 years old when I started writing the story. So <laughs> Paul wow. has gone through some major evolution. Um, some people who've known me you know, and, and knew about this story even back then know that Paul actually started off as the bad guy of our story. And wow. um, I decided as I got older that he really wasn't such a bad guy. You know, they say that writers are schizophrenic because they hear things. (laughs) But my characters do have a tendency to start talking, and I admit it. And Paul just – Paul seems to be – I don't think I've ever met a person who really embodies Paul for me. But Paul is just a very regular guy who who gets thrown into some very crazy circumstances. I mean, he is – he's someone who – bucks the system occasionally and one of the reasons he ended up in Vietnam was that it's he's got this thing about trying to make a father proud who doesn't really like him. His father didn't doesn't particularly care for him and he always is at odds with that cuz he wants to make him proud but he wants to get away from it at the same time. So, I now, think I, some people can relate to that. I, absolutely. Now, <laughs> I have to back you up. What do you mean you started writing this at age 10? That's I, crazy. <laughs> Um, I always had a thing about writing uh, stories. Um, As my mom likes to tell me, I actually started telling stories when I was three. And I'd put on whole little puppet shows (laughs) and do many, many things. So as I really started to understand, uh, my mom got me a typewriter at eight. Even though we had a computer, she had to use it. But she's like, here's a typewriter, go for it. And so I just started making up these stories, you know, things that I saw in my mind, things that I saw in dreams. And so this particular story really started to develop when I was 10. And I actually had notes to myself um, at early ages of writing this story saying, I don't know how to really write this or I don't know what this is, especially romantic scenes. Those were fun where I said, okay, there's a romantic scene here. Write it when you're older. So it's, <laughs> it's really funny looking back at some of the notes that I wrote to myself as, you know, 10 year old me talking to me, present day me saying, can you do something please? <laughs> so, and a big fat pencil. Yes. Don't you think this is one of the things I've always, always, always say on this show? If you have a great idea or a dream, you need to write it down. You can't just keep it in your head, right? Right. You can't because otherwise it will just start to take over. And seeing as how this is actually, when we did this or when I when I started to write this, this book is literally, it's a thousand pages long. So wow. what we did was we cut the book into four. So that's why it's part one. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but the interesting thing about it is this is book this is part one of book one of fifteen. Of fifteen stories with Paul, or is it just um, going on with the alien? It's um, it's not fifteen stories with Paul. Um, Paul Uh-oh. Paul opens our series up. Paul does come back in the series a couple of times, but this is his story. This is how all of this. When you start to read it, you'll understand there's a whole universe that's about to open up to you. So um, this is how this starts. First. Well, I, what an amazing accomplishment. We also have Jen on the line. Hi. Good morning, Jen. Hi, Jen. Uh-oh. Well, maybe, oh, well, we're getting her on the line pretty soon. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have her in a minute. Okay. But, Ariana, tell me, what's your writing process like? I'm always fascinated by this, too. I mean, I'm a definite morning writer. By nighttime, I'm too tired. My dogs have taken too much out of me, and my family <laughs> has to deal with me making dinner and poisoning them. So what is, I mean, <laughs> bad. So what is your, are you a morning writer, or an evening writer? I am an anytime it strikes me writer. Um, so basically what I've learned in lovely technology being what it is, um, I actually am always carrying around my smartphone that also has Word, uh, Microsoft Word on it, and I can talk into it. So when I'm driving in the car, I start talking, get my thoughts down, you know, rearrange them as I, whenever I get to somewhere where I can just sit in front of a computer and go. But I can download from my phone and just get going. Um, I do, I I admit it, I like to write from um, 4 a.m. to about 8 in the morning. That does make me happy because it's quiet and there's, you kind of, at that time in the morning, there's, it really does seem like nobody's around. It's just you and your thoughts. So I really, I like that. Um, that is one of my favorite times to write. So anytime really, really late at night or very, very, very early in the morning, I like to write because I do like that quiet and that solitude. And I don't and I feel think, obligated to anybody. And do you, do you also see things in dreams? Because I'll tell you, and I've said this before on the show, that you know, in my other life I get to interview film people. And I just last week, again, interviewed Stephanie Myers, who wrote the Twilight series, uh-huh. because the movie's coming out soon. And she to this day, says she saw these characters in a dream, and she actually said the story played out like a movie in her mind in a dream, and then she got up, and, and she had a really invaluable piece of advice last week when I talked to her. She said not 15 minutes later than when she had this dream, she forced herself to get up and write it down. But, I mean, do you see things in dreams like that, too? Because I thought this was kind of crazy until I actually had one of those kind of dreams that became a book that I'm working on right now. So how do you stand on the whole dream type of issue? I do see things in dreams. I And um, uh, what happens is if the dreams are very vivid, uh, my mom tells me that I talk in my sleep <laughs> when they get a little too vivid. And I actually recorded one night. Um, and it was it was an interesting thing because one of those dreams actually winds up in part two of the book, verbatim. Wow! So it was it was in fact it's the it'll be on the second page and I think it's the seventh paragraph where I no. just I took verbatim and wrote it down. And you just wrote your whole dream down and yeah, and isn't that the best stuff sometimes? It's oh just, yeah, definitely. And you can't recreate that stuff when you're awake sometimes. You're, and I don't you often think, where in the world did I come up with this? 
Yeah, sometimes, you know, I follow um uh I follow string theory a little bit. I love science, but I follow string theory and I sometimes wonder if dreams are actually a weakening of the dimensional walls where you can take a look mm-hmm. in somebody else's reality. And it's like are you just recording what you see? Right. So I I do and I, I it's interesting. I do play on that a lot in my book. So it's uh it's it's great for me to be able to just write it down and um do it quickly or sometimes like I say when I'm talking in my sleep I record it. So and I was thankful that I recorded that because it really did fit into what I was doing. Do you ever have moments where you just feel frustrated by writing and or you're trying to think of something and it's just not coming and what what do you do when that happens? Um when I when I have a little bit of a block <laughs> Um, right. A friend of mine, <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine, um, who's another, who's an author. She always says you need to split the vein. So she goes about and she thinks of the worst possible thing that could have happened to her, mm-hmm. and she writes it down. And believe it or not, when you when you do when you dredge up something that's emotional, it doesn't have to be worse. It could be the best possible thing. But when you dredge up something that's massively emotional, that really just changed the course of your life, and you start to write it down, it gives you. It, it starts to give you a sense of okay, I'm, I'm at least I'm writing something. I'm writing something. And eventually, if you look back at what you were working on, you can say, oh. Oh, okay, this is where I'm going. So it, it kind of clears the mind and allows you to go back to what you were doing. So I always suggest splitting the vein. So, On a little different front, what is it with our fascination with aliens, do you think? I mean, this is just never-ending. And, <laughs> you know, I've seen it done so great in books like yours, and then we've seen other things that are – kind of hokey about aliens, especially I've seen a lot of bad movies about them, but Uh, what is it about this? Just that we know something's out there, but we just don't know what? I I think it really plays on the whole idea of escapism. I mean, that's the ultimate in escapism. It's like you are going to something that is so foreign, it's so different, you have no reference points. So I think the fascination with aliens is also all the conspiracies around them, too. It's like you don't you think there's something out there, you hope there's something out there because it would be an awful waste of space for there not to be anything out there. But at right. the same time, yeah. you do you really want something to be out there? You know, it's like are you ready to deal with the fact that there might be something that's so alien to you? And it, it all the fantastic things that can happen. I mean, it's like all the things that okay, our genetic structure didn't go this way, but somebody else's did. So all of these amazing creatures could be out there. You never know. So I think that's the fascination with it of just not knowing and, you know, putting your own spin on not knowing, which is really what I do. I'm just like, okay, well, I don't know what's out there, but why couldn't this have happened? Or, you know, why why can't we have this? So it's vast, and it's something that you, you'll never know. You know, does this really exist? Does it not exist? So I think that people are just trying to fill a void, and they get excited. I don't know if aliens are out there or not. I hope so, because <laughs> it'd be boring place if there were. So let's take a minute, because people, I'm sure, are going to want to order your book as a great book just to read or a great Christmas present. 
for men, women, and that's a tough thing sometimes to find gifts for guys. But tell people the title and, and then tell us how you did this through Amazon. Okay. Um, the book is called Convergence Catalyst, Part 1, The Lost Soldiers. Um, and what I did was I learned about the whole self-publishing. Uh, two friends of mine are very into it. Uh, one actually does a whole bunch of pulp through uh, the old pulp magazines. He republishes through Amazon. And then I have another friend who just published a book on healthcare. And um, I said to him, I'm, he actually came to me, and he's like, how's the book going? I said, well, it's going, and I'm almost done. And he's like, well, you know, nobody's going to read a thousand pages. Split it in four. I said, okay. So we split the four. You know, we split it in four. We took the part one, and he showed me how to go through all the various uh, e-publishing programs in order to make the book, you know, make it look like a book, get it ready for for e-publishing. And then he showed me the whole Amazon of it all, which is an amazing program. The Kindle Direct Publishing is just amazing because once you've done your book where you can either have somebody do it for you or you can do it yourself, I chose to do it myself using his help and tutelage because he's really tech smart. Um, He took me through everything I needed to know, and then we just downloaded the copy into the Kindle Direct Publishing. They have all these instructions very easy to do. Just go to kdp.amazon.com and they'll walk you through everything you need to know. Um, uploaded a cover, uploaded the book, put it down, what my price points were. Um, the royalty program is pretty cool because you can sell a book for 99 cents and get 35% back of your sales. Not bad. Or you can sell it for more and get 70% back. <laughs> So you're getting a lot more than you would be if you go through a publishing house. And a lot more, Ariana. Let me yeah. just, I think for people who the wheels are starting to spin, a lot more, you guys. I mean, I always fight these publishing contracts, and I've done books for almost all the major publishers. Mm-hmm. And you are lucky to get about 8 or 9% on a paperback book, 15% on a hardback book. But the problem is publishers are really reluctant to do hardback books because they think consumers don't want to spend the extra money. So you're lucky to get 8 or 9 10% if you have a good lawyer or agent who's fighting for you. That's so right. that's really nothing. And the other little nasty secret through major publishers is they will take years to pay you the first royalty check because they'll come up with a million costs that they've had. So you're looking I, – I wrote a book that sold 70,000 copies maybe three, four years ago. We haven't seen a cent of royalties, my writing partner and I, because the publisher claims there's still books in the warehouse and there were fees and blah, 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 and that's really hard to fight later on. I mean, eventually they'll have to shell out some money, but so smart to do Amazon, you guys. I can't even tell you. Most most people are going that route these days. Right. And there's the wonderful thing is the cost is on you. So, for instance, I chose to get an artist to do the cover. Right. And thankfully, the artist that I worked with, um, um, Anthony Francisco, great guy, um, loves talking, loves science fiction. He did a lot of Magic the Gathering cards. So he was saying, oh, this is awesome. So the more I told him about the story, he was like, this is great, this is great. You know, I, that was my only expense. And well worth an expense, don't you think? Well worth it. Oh, well worth it, yeah, definitely. I mean, his work is incredible, and the second cover is just beautiful. 
So he he does amazing work. So that was my expense. And Are you on Yes. Hi, it's Jennifer. I'm just Hi, Jennifer. Hi. We finally got on. Thank you. We keep going on and on. We we were well. Let's welcome Jennifer, everybody. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Jen has been a long time for having me. And, yeah. and I know you have some questions for Ariana, too, because I know you want to look into writing books, too. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have tons of questions for you, Ariana, but I since we're talking about the Amazon process, I'm uh-huh. just curious to learn how you did your marketing for the book, I and mean, how did you get people to really take a look since there is no you know publishing behind you? Marketing has been fun. Some of it has been word of mouth. Um, I happen to be a huge comic book collector. And one of the things that happened was that while I was, and it was kind of off the cuff because we were just chatting about things that we do, but one thing that happens is sometimes Friday night at a local comic book store that's sort of like a cheers bar, if you like, um, we all wind up talking after the shop closes. And I said, oh, guys, I wrote a book. And they're like, no way. Oh, my God. Well, of course, these people blog like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happened was two of the people that we're always having debates on who's stronger, the Hulk or Superman, you know, uh, you wind up talking to them, you tell them you have a book, and then all of a sudden it gets down on their blog, hey, my buddy who's in the comic book store wrote a book, blah, 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 you should check it out. You'd be amazed. The next thing that happened was I was literally sitting there getting my hair done, and I was looking over you know, making sure that I had done all of my edits on my book. And my hairdresser, who is an amazing human being, looks down. He's like, what's that? I said, well, I wrote a book. And he's like, oh. And there was a lawyer sitting there who was big in the entertainment. And he's like, oh, oh, I didn't know you wrote a book. And, of course, you wind up talking. And it's really a lot of word of mouth. And one of the other things that I did was I got um, postcards made of the book cover and Mm -hmm. just put on the back the link in order to get the book along with the price. And I put it down at a local coffee house. They're usually gone like the next day. People just pick them up. Right. And um, comic book conventions have been good to me too. I'll I'll just put like a stack down, go back to the table. They're usually gone because it's pretty artwork. If anything, you just get the cover, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the cover has been beautiful for me. And then we have website, you know, I have a website coming up, and I have the Twitter, and I have a lovely gentleman by the name of James Grant, who's a PR person, who tweeted to his followers saying this, my friend who's Mad Pulp, he's called the Mad Pulp Bastard, he goes around, he tweeted it to everybody, Facebook has been great, you know, and it, it's literally, and then there's goodreads.com where you can do an author's page. So I've done mild marketing and a lot of word of mouth and I've done pretty well. That's so interesting. I think that I, I know for me personally it's it's always gonna be word of mouth if I'm going to read the read a book. And it sounds like you obviously are gonna have a very specific audience for this 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 book because it is <laughs> in such a genre. Um but I know I, I like what you said how it, it's not like Twilight. It's it's not gonna be that sort of book and you know I think that comes off um with a lot of women authors that there's going to be this sort of romanticism it has to be that way and then you have um books like the hunger games that come out which i think is uh, in my opinion pretty science fiction in in a lot of ways but also has that of course that huge love story or whatever that that makes it but it also has a great political bent that's that book had a great political bent 
really right, got exactly. in. Um, and that's what, you know, I mine has a historical thing. Most of the time, I don't, if I'm talking to certain people, especially people who I, I you know, I know they're intellectuals, I don't tell them, say that my book is sci-fi. I say it's a history novel with a mystery in it. And okay. it's the same thing. I mean, it, it really, it, it it takes place, you know, the 1960s were just a crazy time to be alive. I wasn't around, but uh, it's interesting because people who were around who have read my book are saying, you sure you weren't there? <laughs> because I did a lot of research. I did a lot like of research. To, hmm. I like that you have that, that different that different spin so that it, it does reach other audiences and not yes. just a specific one. That was really my, my ultimate question was, was what is your take on and when you explain that book and when you market that book um, to fit all the different types of people who, who would be interested in reading it? Well, we have three ways of marketing it, actually. Um, one is the history novel with the mystery. Uh, two is the sci-fi with the touch of aliens because the interesting thing about it is you only see the aliens once. <laughs> That's it. And it's in the beginning of the book. There's hints, but you never really see him again. Now, you see some alien artifacts show up um, through the book, but again, what I was saying, I just, I talk about that, I talk about that more with the sci-fi crowd. Next part is the fantasy element. Um, and we do do this because there's a touch of the metaphysical in it. There's a touch of spirituality in it. Um, but seeing as how it's explained, it falls into the category of fantasy. Can we get a little preview, Ariana? Do we see the alien again, you know, in upcoming books? Is this going to? Um, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> do, you, oh, do, you, do you ever see the giant again? Well, you see his hand come up in part two. You do see the giant again, but you only see his hand. Um, when you, but you do get to meet the alien. Um, you get to meet a few aliens, actually, but you do get to meet the giant. And I can honestly tell you that meeting the giant might not be all that fun. Oh, so he's not exactly the friendly giant, as we are just hearing. No. <laughs> I, I will definitely say he is not a friendly individual. No. So, I, I was going to add one thing, too, to, to Jen's really great marketing question. I'll tell you guys a quick. Uh, story. A, f- a friend of mine wrote a yoga book. I mean, you can imagine how many yoga books are on the market, bajillions. And he was tireless. For a calendar year, he marketed that book. He called radio stations. He was on Good Morning Des Moines. He, it didn't, nothing was too small. He would talk to anybody who had a blog. Because, you know what, someone would have a blog and then that would lead to some local radio station saying, hey, we saw this blog. So, the biggest mistake I ever see people make and clients of mine who have me as a ghostwriter, the hugest mistake I see them make is their book comes out and they kind of promote their book for a month and then they're done. They're like, okay, I promoted my book. That is the greatest way to never get your book sold. So your job really after you get that book out is at least for one year, just keep going strong on what, whoever wants to talk to you, whatever website it is, just say yes. Definitely. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, Jen, are you thinking of writing a book? I am. I, I, I'm kind of like Ariana where you you have that story within you for so long, and I, I feel like I've had a story in me for years. And, you know, I, what are you I, I waiting read, for? I, that's, what, that's what I'm I'm hoping to, to gain from Ariana, just like 
how did you prioritize finally doing it? Was there a, um, like something that happened where you were like, okay, this is going to be the, the biggest thing in my life and I'm going to finish it? And, and that sort of process is what I'm interested in because every time I sit and I, I start to write it, you know, something happens and then I don't make it a priority anymore. Okay, well, the something happening, that right there, that's your biggest enemy. Push to the right. side. Once it's happened, it's done, it's past tense, you move on. But don't move on to not writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, literally, as I was saying to Cindy earlier, I started writing this when I was 10, but a friend of mine hit me over the head and basically said, you're not George R. R. Martin, nobody's going to read a thousand-page book. So I stopped, you know, I stopped editing parts two, three, and four, finished editing one, and threw it up there. Now I'm finishing editing part two, and it goes up next week. So you can't, you know, if it's too long, if the idea is so big, let it be big. There's no reason you have to tell your story in one book. That's actually bad marketing. Good marketing is splitting your story into however many parts you want to split it into, making it a nice short read so people want to come back for more. Right. And not slamming a huge price tag on it. You put a small price tag on it, people will read it, they'll be like, hey, this is pretty good. And then they'll say, oh, where's some more? Especially if you leave a big, uh, be continued on the end of it, like I did mine. I I literally leave you hanging at the end of part one. Now, have you always known how... Well, I know you, you talked about how things have changed, like your characters have changed throughout the years since you've had this story for so long, but has mm-hmm. it always sort of had an, this is how I see it in the beginning, this is how I see it in the middle, and this is how it's going to end, and you sort of followed that skeleton, or or did you just sort of write and it would come to you? Um, I have I have it outlined out. And, okay. um, yes, okay. things change in between, new characters develop, but it's okay. I still... I'm still using the first sentence of the first book that I wrote when I was 10, and I'm still using the last sentence of the last book that I wrote when I was uh, 13. Now, ladies, we have some uh, callers hanging on who have some questions for Ariana. And Gail, our fearless leader here, is going to put them through. Okay. Hello? Hello? Well, we're working on college. They're going to come <laughs> in a minute. But I agree with the outline process. And, and I'll tell you another tip, too, Jen. It's kind of fun to enlist someone else and say, I'm writing this book because I got when I, I have a fiction book that I've worked on for the last three years, and I finished it this summer. And, and I'll tell you, I not only had my husband sort of deputized, but I also found someone that I'm using as a manager. And I'll I'll tell you, both of them were like, do you have the two chapters you said you were going to have done this week? Where are they? And mm-hmm. make yourself comfortable a little bit so it's not mm-hmm. just you. And that does get it done on those days, on those Sundays where you're like, well, am I going to sit inside and write or it's a beautiful day? When someone's kind of breathing down your neck going, I want to read those two chapters on Tuesday, you're probably going to sit inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. I, I Also, I... I'm curious as to whether or not, you know, being in in sort of a writing circle sort of helps if you are surrounded by other people who are trying to do what you do because I feel like in my life I'm sort of alone in this world of having a story and and wanting to write it and wanting to to share it. Um, Do I need to surround myself with with more people like that and and how would I go about doing that? Well, I, I'm going to equate this kind of funny. Um, being in a writing group is like being in a weight loss group. Uh, 
Yep, unless you have somebody who's going to push you, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big if if you're if you get in a group where, for instance, I was in a writers group and there was an author who had been published several times by Tor, and she was a stickler for everything. And so when you would read your stuff, if you started tripping over your own dialogue, she'd say, "Well, that was that sucks. Obviously, you if you can't read it, then mm-hmm. what's the point?" Right. So. And she was constantly pushing you to strive better and to finish. I mean, she'd give you deadlines. Like, for instance, you had to have five chapters by the next time you you met. So well, if there's somebody there to push, it's fine. But if you're just getting in a group, they're going to start complaining about how much ice cream they ate, so to speak. Or I didn't get a chance to do this because I was working. That's not going to work. So writer's groups are good. Writer's groups are bad. It depends on which one you get into. And you have to have a taskmaster. You have to have somebody who's going to say you have to have this done. That would be I, the only good those are. I agree. And a friend of mine has a great book idea, and she's in a writer's group, but the group broke up, and now she's not working on her book anymore because it became sort of a crutch where she was like, well, now I don't have these four women to say if it's good, I can't do it. So I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with Ariana. I, I would try it alone first. You can always go to a writer's group. And the other thing is if you have a killer great idea, there is a little worry about, you know, I, I don't know, someone could take your idea. So something right. to think about. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Wow. And, Jennifer, I'm, I'm always there to listen. So if you need somebody to push you, I'll definitely push you. I'm good at yeah, that. We could kick you in the pants, Jen, if we need someone to say, we want to just know that those three chapters were done. But but I, I agree. And, you know, the other thing is people sit there and stare at the screen. You, what you do today doesn't have to be the most brilliant thing, but just get get something down. And as you go along, you'll it'll get better, and you could always go back and redo it. But don't just sit there, you know, thinking, oh, I can't do this today. I'll do it tomorrow. Because Ariana's right. It becomes that diet that you never, ever really go on. Mm-hmm. Right. There's always something more important to do or, or something else that needs to get done. And I think that that's a big issue for me and uh, probably a lot of, of, you know, wannabe writers out there is that they, you know, they want to do this, but there's always so much more that should be more important to them maybe. But it, it really isn't, especially if you have something within you that needs to come out. But Stephen King said it best. If you can get 2,000 words down a day, you're doing good. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. And what I love, too, is all of a sudden you've done 2,000 words a day, and, oh, my God, I have 20,000 words. Mm-hmm. And now I have 30,000, and I have a whole book. You're, if you really stick to it, you'll be amazed that all of a sudden, six months later, you have a book done. And, and no, every word might not be perfect, but I'd rather you get those words down and then go back and fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Ariana, how did you feel when you finally had this, this first part of their book up there, and it was done. There, there was lots of um, drinking. <laughs> Can I say that? Uh, That's what we love on the show. There, there was, a, there was a lot of happiness, and there was a lot of, you know, oh my god, and screaming and yelling, and um, a lot of calls from the people who got dedications, uh, you know, that I dedicated the book to, and that was very funny because they didn't know I thought so highly of them, and. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> what did you treat yourself to, Ariana? Did you go, I don't know, to a Bruce Springsteen concert? Did you go, what did you do? I would go fly somewhere and see Bruce. That's my Okay. Um, actually, I went to a friend's store, um, and he gave me a bottle of Cristal. And I went and sat with my mom and sipped Cristal and 
said, I finally got this done. <laughs> and so that was my celebration, was sitting with my mom drinking on a bottle of Cristal. <laughs> and how cool is it to type your title into Amazon and see your book come up? Uh, I do it any time that I'm not feeling good. And it <laughs> just makes me laugh and have a good time, and it, it's fun. It really is just something where I say, I've accomplished something. And knowing that the second part is coming out next week, I'm really excited about that, too. So it's just it's, it's a great title. feeling. What oh, is the that, title of the second part? The second book is Converse Catalyst Part 2, uh, right. A Captain's Guilt. Ooh. And yeah. give us a little preview. What's happening in Part 2? Well, uh, we find out what happened to Paul from the cliffhanger, the literal cliffhanger that I left <laughs>
I love when I read a, read a book and I, I feel that strongly about a character or whether, like, I hate that character or I, I love that character or I'm really rooting for someone. That's when I know, like, okay, I'm reading a good book. I'm, I'm investing this emotion in it. I want to hear more of those. I, I really love it when people tell me their thoughts. I, I love hearing that, whether they like somebody or why did you do this, and oh, my God, what's going to happen to so-and-so. And that, that's that been happening, especially when people get to the end. My mother exclaimed very loudly uh, an expletive after she read the last sentence of the book, and she was very angry for a couple of days because she couldn't believe I stopped. That's exciting. Isn't it exciting to have people ask you when's the next one? We can't wait. That's got to be so exciting. That's been fun. I have uh, three little reviews up on Amazon that were people who have written. I keep telling people, write your, let other people see what you're saying. It's very hard to get people to write that, but um, right. they all say the same thing. Can't wait for the next one. When is it coming out? Yeah. Okay. Everybody who loves Ariana's book, go to Amazon and give it five stars and say what you love about it to encourage other people. That really does drive traffic too. Yes, it does. It, it puts you further up the the uh, the line in Amazon. So I it definitely does. tell people, please make the reviews. I'm glad you're telling me, but write it down. <laughs> yeah, write it down. Just go to Amazon. It takes three seconds, and just you don't have to write a lot, but give her five stars and don't think. Well, I'm just going to do four stars because I'm being modest. Give her the whole five stars because that'll <laughs> drive her rating up. And, and go on and say you loved it. Now, let's check back on our callers. Do we? I don't know if we still have any callers on the line. We'll give them a minute to pause here. Okay. And and uh, But I, I have to say, too, and I love the fact you're doing this you know, self-published because I've written two teen books. One is a fantasy one, but the other is very rooted in reality. And one of the notes I got back from a major editor at one of the big book companies for the rooted in reality book was that the teen girl in the first one is a little rude to her mom. She's 16. I mean, yes. what teen girl would not be a little bit rude to her mom? <laughs> So, I mean, those, these are the kind of insane book company notes you get. You know, she can't, you know, she can't sass her mom back. Well, what kind of 16-year-old wouldn't do that at one point? So it's it's really great to have the control to self-publish and really see your vision out there. Uh-huh. You don't have to take anybody's notes but your own. <laughs> but right. I, and so what are you going to do, change your whole book 300 different times because one person said something? So it's really phenomenal that we're at this point in publishing these days. Yes. Yes. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I think we've gone over our time. Yeah. I'm so bad oh, about yeah. that. Well, we've gone over. I'm sorry, everybody. But I just want to tell you all, go on Amazon now. Don't forget. And order Ariana Harris's amazing book. And you might as well get part two while you're getting part one because you're going to want it. Anyways. So just yeah, you'll probably want to know what's going to happen there. <laughs> Yeah, don't have to order it twice and then, you know, deal with your dog barking at the delivery guy. Just do it one shot. And and it's called The Convergence Catalyst Part 1, The Lost Soldiers. And, Jen, thank you so much. Look at the writing right now, young lady. And, I will. Uh, <laughs> you can check back with us. Maria, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, ladies. Bye.